Uh, this evening, I want to, we'll just jump right into it. I want to read from Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, and starting in verse 8, just a few verses here. And it's describing this man Abraham that we know, Abraham and his wife Sarah. And starting in verse 8, it says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she, she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for the lips you give to us to sing praise. Lord, what a blessing that is. What a blessing it is to have uh, gifted servants who lead us to praise with our lips. But Lord, we also pray that as we engage with you in this time, Holy Spirit, may we be people whose hearts are worshiping you just as much as our lips and our external actions do. Continue to mold and shape the inner beings within us that you unite us as one. And Lord, there's something raging and moving and unstoppable that flows from this place. So start with one and move amongst us, Lord. Whatever you need to do for your own glory, do in us. So guide us in this time. Give us alertness to receive your word. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we see this amazing faith here in Abraham and Sarah. So they're taking steps and following even when they couldn't see with their eyes. And I don't know about you, but I like to see where I'm going. Um, I'm a control freak. More and more God's revealing that within me. I got real issues. I like to control. And when we understand what faith is, often throughout this great book of Hebrews, and even here we see the nature of faith is we don't really see where we're going, but we believe in the one who's telling us to go. And that's enough. And that's why we keep talking about the scriptures and who's the God that we see in the Bible because we need to know the character and the goodness and the love of this God. So when he tells us, just like he tells Abraham and Sarah, go, we're not having to say, well, can I really trust you in this? Because we know that God is good. And when he tells us to go, even if we don't see where we're going, it's a good place to go. So God, in Abraham and Sarah, just as he does with us, he was using this whole journey to grow their faith in him. Because honestly, God called them to do some crazy things here. I mean, they left comfortable, stable lives in other parts of Scripture. We know that Abraham was a man of means. He had stuff. But God is calling them to go and to live as nomads. In verse 9, it says, foreign lands and intents. They were basically going as um, as immigrants, as foreigners. And, and I don't know how many of you, and maybe families or even yourself, you've come to this country as a foreigner. Um, there's something about being a foreigner in a strange land. It's not an easy life. You don't understand all the cultural norms. You don't understand every language tick. You don't understand the way people are. But for Abraham and Sarah, they lived this out, going to lands where they were often under peril. And um, as I looked at my parents, and maybe many of you can identify, the thing about being an immigrant is sometimes you don't have the privilege of kind of just settling down. It's like survival mode all the time. Survival mode. Like, how are we going to make it? How are we going to make it? That was Abraham and Sarah here. They had to trust God. So there's a lot of fear. Again, the people in the Bible, 
they're no better than you and me. You know, God has given them visions and given them calling, but they struggle with things when God tells them to do something just like you and me. Particularly for them, the thing they really struggled with is God's promise for an inheritance in a generation of descendants. These two old men and women, God said, you're going to have a boatload of descendants. They struggle trusting that word. And we see how they, how, how they lived out some of that struggle in, in Genesis 16. We read the description of their struggle. It says, now Sarai, Abraham's, Abram's wife, this was before their names were changed, had borne him no children. God's promised you're going to have descendants, but there's still no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. I'm wondering how much he fought her on that. He's, she's like, now go be with that. You sure, Sarai? You know, whatever it looked like. Abram listened. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And I think that's important there in verse 3 here, where we see God's given promises, but it's been over 10 years. Like sometimes we think God's given us promises, and God is faithful. He, we trust his word. So when he tells us to do something, there must be a plan but we are such an instantaneous Google Prime, get it today, high-speed Wi-Fi, I want it now, that when we hear God's going to give us something and God's promised and his promises are good, but it's been over 10 years. So I don't judge Sarah and, and Abram that much. I kind of understand them. I'm like, okay, God, like, what, what's the statute of limitations on your word here? Because this has been going on for a little bit, and we're trying. I'm sure Abraham was trying real hard. Sarah's trying real hard. But it's been 10 years. They're probably sick of each other at this point. They're like, okay, seriously, again? Well, God's promised we got to keep working at this. Seriously? Okay. I mean, something must be wrong, right? It's not happening. Maybe, maybe like you and me, Abraham and Sarah, they're struggling with... Um, did we hear God correctly? Have you ever done that? You feel God spoken to so clearly to you, but then things are not happening the way you think they would, and you're like, wow, maybe we misunderstood. Maybe that word was not as clear as we thought it was. Or maybe they feel like they did something to disqualify themselves from God's promise. Have you ever had that, where you believe God's promise is so clear, but then you got some stuff in your life, and you're like, oh, man. I, I disqualified myself from this. I, I took away the favor of God. So in response to it, they try to manipulate the situation by taking control. And like all of us who've tried to do that have discovered, that usually doesn't end up in a good place when we try to take control and manipulate. But the thing, here's the thing. God's promise are good. Even here, if I were God, and you should all thank God I'm not God, if I were God, I'd be like, Seriously? You, you, you like went to the maidservant and you think that's going to happen. I promised you from your old bodies this is going to happen. I would have said, I can't forget y'all. Find me a new, a new couple. But even in their distrust, distrust, we learned that God was still faithful to his promise. And after 25 years, not even 10, 25 years, when Abram was about 100 years old and his wife was around 90 or maybe less, God delivered them a son out of their own bodies. Insane. 
So Abraham, Sarah, they learned to trust God. But see what follows in Hebrews after that verse we read earlier, verse 13. It says, these all died in faith, and it's others, but it's also Abraham, Sarah. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. What this is saying is that Abraham and Sarah, yeah, they had this kid, but they didn't see with their own eyes God's promise of all these descendants. They don't know if it's going to happen. Honestly, their bodies died before seeing the full fruit of God's promises. They don't know. They don't All they have is God's word to rest on. But for Abraham and Sarah and many like them in the scriptures before them, they never saw the full fulfillment of what they were living their lives for. They saw God's promise, but they never with their eyes, while they still had these bodies of flesh, were able to see fully. This was not the storybook Disney ending, right? I I love Disney. I'm forced to now because I got two girls. I love Disney. And in Disney, all movies are all hard, right? They're all hard. And sometimes a little dark, right? Like my kids, they freak out now about me going anywhere. They're happy to come to retrieve me because they see these Disney movies. Parents leave and they're gone then, right? Like bad stuff. But in the end, it kind of all turns out good. This is not the storybook ending, For the characters in the scriptures, they never fully see God's promises. In many ways, their everyday actions of faith, their choices in following God were not for their immediate gratification today, but they were making an investment into a deeper, longer-term legacy that would go way beyond these mortal cases of flesh. They were making choices. They were taking steps of obedience that were going way beyond what they would be able to see while God still gave them breath on this earth. And guys, I just, this has been like uh, become a ruling thing in my life. Um, Because I think one of the biggest challenges for all of us to grow more like Christ is living like our choices, our beliefs, our actions today are investing into the future. I think this, especially the younger you are, I think the more challenging this is to believe that what I do today matters, but I might not see the full fruit of that today. What does it mean to live like faith even when we realize the things we're investing in, we might not see the full effects of that until later on. We call this living with a legacy. Living with a legacy in mind. And like Abraham and Sarah, you and I, we might not see the full visible fruit even within our lifetime, let alone next year or five years. It might not even be in our lifetime. And I want to be really clear. I'm not saying that there's not like a particular joy just to be found in the journey itself. Amen? There's, like, there's joy just in following Christ, regardless of the fruit. There's, there's a joy in just being able to live with him every day, even if stuff's not happening. But the truth is that much of how God is calling us to trust and obey him may not reveal itself right away, at least to our knowledge. And, and the, the challenge, I think, as I experience many and talking to many, even for myself, is because we don't feel like it today, it must not be true. It's really hard. But the Christian journey, it's about investing into a legacy. It's about believing in something greater to come that's worth your present sacrifice, both for you, but for others as well. 
that it's worth you sacrificing even if you don't see the full effect of that right now. Because I want you to consider, I'm, I'm, we're just all about keeping it real, right? I want you to consider as you invest into people, invest into things, even invest into your church today, that investment may not seem to bear fruit right away. You might not see the full effect of it immediately. But even if you cannot see fruit today, guys, be faithful. Be obedient. Trust God. And I think some of this, we have to think long-term because so many of the things we invest in, they're so temporary. I'm not saying they're bad, but some of the, ask, ask yourself, what are some of the things I'm giving so much of my time to, so much of my energy to, so much of my passion towards, so much of my dreams towards? And I'm not even saying they're bad, but sometimes they're so temporary. It's like a question I ask our church all the time. When's the last time you talked about your great-grandfather? Like, when's the last time you talked about your great-grandfather? Like, you were just sitting over at Starbucks, cold brew. You're like, yo, how do you think great-grandpappy did? You know, we don't even know most of their names. And that wasn't even that long ago. Because, and, and you know, like, oh, this is one of those cheery sermons, huh? We are all forgotten one day. We all get forgotten. Life is far bigger than any of us. But we can get into this weird mentality thinking everything revolves around us and it's so important what happens to me now. But we have to have proper perspective. You are precious in God's sight, but you're part of something far bigger than just even yourself. And if we believe life is bigger than just each of us and our legacies today, the appropriate response is to ask, how then will I invest into others and other kingdom things with a legacy in mind? Just very practically, how is God calling you to invest into other people, your church, the kingdom, with a legacy in mind? Let me read from Matthew 13. This has become one of the more formative passages in Scripture for me, this parable that Jesus teaches. In verse, verse 3 of chapter 13, it says, He, and this is Jesus, told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depths of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And you know this story, right? Jesus is talking about spreading the seeds of the kingdom and the effect of how some things don't grow. And this probably reveals my pessimistic nature, but whenever I used to read this, the things that were most prominent to me are those seeds that don't grow. Like I used to think, oh yeah, this is why things are not happening. Because it's thorny ground. It's rocky ground. And I tell Baltimore church planters, I train a lot of people starting new churches in Baltimore. I was like, yo, Holmes, you should read this like every morning before you go out to do ministry. You should read this like every day. Because what this is saying is that a good majority of the seed that you might throw, nothing might happen with it. And you need to know that's actually kind of normal. Jesus promised that. He's saying a lot of the faithfulness you have, it's not because you're incompetent, uh, maybe a little bit, but it, it's probably not just because you're incompetent or you're a moron or you're not even following God's call. It might just be you've thrown it upon some of those soil that's not going to bear fruit. And that's okay. Expect it. 
But the way God's been changing my perspective slightly on this is now I still see those hard soils, but I see the promise that, yeah, there's hard soil, but there's also some of this seed that's going to fall on this really good soil that you're going to get 30 times fruit, 60, even 100 times what you've invested there. So be faithful because you don't know what that soil is. When you look at that soil, it all looks the same. You don't know what kind of seed you throw God might be doing with that. That's going to bear fruit so many more times than you expected. And this has just become a guiding principle for me in terms of legacy with sowing. And I can't help but think of so many instances in my own life where I've seen this at work. Um, man, you know, when I come to a retreat like this, and we've got these amazing childcare workers here, they are just blowing my minds. Uh, as a daddy, I guess, you know, when I see people treat my kids well, there's like nothing better than that. I'm so encouraged by them. Cause it, and I don't know how many of you serve regularly in children's ministry at the church. It is like not the most glorious of positions <laughs> It's like every three months you got to do a volunteer recruitment because you're always losing workers. It's like war, right? The war of attrition and faithfully serving these little ones. And, and I think about my own journey. This was a memory that it was weird how it popped up recently, but I think I was in fourth grade back in outside of Philadelphia in the suburbs, fourth grade. And I remember I was part of a small Korean church, so we didn't have things like VBS, right? So what we did, and maybe some people still do this, we looked for other churches that did things like VBS. My parents would go drop them off, like go find nice American churches and go drop us off to do VBS so we could learn something. So we got dropped off of this, this, this uh, a small American church. I'll be honest, that's like almost 40 years ago now. I don't remember much. I, I, I really don't remember much, but you know what I still remember? I remember making these little crafts, making these little torches, because the stories were about Gideon. I still remember the Bible stories were about Gideon. I remember hearing about the faithfulness of God speaking through a broken, uh, small nation and, and a few people and breaking them down more and more so that they would show the glory and might of God. And I still remember, and I don't remember much, honestly. I don't, there was, all I remember was a bunch of old white ladies. I don't remember their names. I don't even know what they looked like. All I know is that they faithfully served us. And I, I don't know them, so I can't find them. But one day in heaven, I'm going to look for them and I want to tell them and I want to give them a big hug and say, your investment into the kingdom in these little kids that you don't even know, this little Korean kid that you probably had no clue about and you're wondering what's even happening, your investment, your faithfulness, your sowing seed, your loving them, your kindness, your serving. Look what God has done with that now. Look how he continues to bear fruit. Look how there's even a retreat in the middle of Virginia with people who are receiving the gospel and you have had a part to do with that because you've invested in someone. You had no clue what God was going to do with it, but you were faithful because God always tells us, continue to sow faithfully, continue to leave with, live with legacy in mind because you don't know what God is going to do with your faithfulness. Some of it might not bear much fruit. Let's be honest. God's, Jesus promised that, but some of it, might God might multiply 30, 60, 100, many times over. That's legacy. That's legacy. But here's the thing. In our life, it, it may just seem kind of ordinary. It might not seem very spectacular. Um, and I think that's a challenge, especially if you're a little younger here. I, I feel 
I feel for you because if you're a part of this like millennial generation, you've grown up hearing this message, you can do anything you want. You can change the world if you want to. You can be everything you want to. And, and, and there's this subtle message you have to be careful that creeps in that if you don't do something spectacular with your life, if you don't become viral, if you don't come become the superstar, somehow you've become a failure. And I don't think that's right or true. I don't think that's what God teaches us. God teaches us faithfulness and obedience. And, and he teaches us that sometimes your faith may even look like a tragic failure. That sometimes you might be exactly being obedient, living for a legacy, sowing in faith, and on this world's eyes, it might look like a tragic failure. Look at the end of Hebrews 11, and he's gone through all these stories of faith. The author has listed all of these different champions of faith, and here is how he ends it in verse 35. Some were tortured. They don't even got names, these people. They're some, right? Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not not receive what was promised. He's saying, yo, we've got a whole bunch of people. We don't even know their names, but they suffered for Christ. They gave themselves. They were faithful. They experienced persecution. They were homeless. They didn't have good clothes. They didn't have anything. They look like losers by the end. We don't even know their names, but you know what? They're included in the hall of faith here because you and I now are also beneficiaries of their faithfulness. We are living out products of their legacy that even if no one knew them by the end, no one was there to give them a plaque, no one celebrated their faithfulness, God saw it. God saw it. Though they did not see with their own eyes, God saw it and God used that. In the world's economy, they're a big loser. They seem to have lost everything, but the reality is that they have left a legacy which includes you and I. And you and I, we are called to the same life of faith and legacy. How do we do that? Look at the following chapter in Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are so surrounded by, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Because ultimately, we see that this countercultural call to leaving a legacy, it's not just given to us, but it was lived out by the Lord Jesus himself. Because if we think about it, we glory in the cross. We love the cross. But guys, put yourself in the shoes of those who are watching this tragedy that they thought was a tragedy called the cross happen. It looked like the biggest loser job in history. It looked like this man who had power to do everything. He was multiplying food. He was raising people to life. He was healing the broken. He was casting out demons. He was preaching and teaching like no one ever had. It looked like he had everything. He looked like the biggest winner in history. But by the end, it looked like he had lost. It looked like he had been conquered. It looked like he was made to be a patsy. He was a zero, hanging on a tree, naked, bloody, 
being laughed at, being mocked, even his closest friends having all left him, denying that they even knew him. That was his legacy, or at least what it seemed at the time. But Christ was living for a legacy because he knew that was not the end of the story, because there was going to be this glorious destruction of death and sin as he rose from the grave. The cross was not the end. It brought life, but Jesus completed it by rising from the grave. But you have to look at it with eyes of legacy because if you stop on Friday, it looks like it was a complete waste. And too many of us, we stop at Friday in our journey. We're like, why bother? Nothing's working. It's not happening. And we give up when God is calling us to be faithful, be obedient, trust that he's at work. And sometimes God's timetable is not your timetable. Sometimes God doesn't work as, as fast as you think he should. Because for God, time is this weird kind of thing. Because sometimes, and, and I'm going to get kind of real here. Not that I'm being fake, the rest, but here's some. <laughs> Don't you love when people say, I'm going to be real here. Like, so you've been lying to me this whole rest of the time? Sometimes the cross, look, I, at least I think, like maybe you don't. Sometimes I think that the cross looks like a waste because I look at my own life. I'm like, wow, Jesus died for me. And look what I'm doing with this thing. Wow. Jesus died for me. I am just wasting this thing. Wow. Jesus died for me, and it doesn't take that much to get me off my game. Wow. Jesus died for me. I don't even need persecution to make me turn around and do something else. I'm just tired or hungry or had a bad day or someone cut me off. It doesn't really take that much for me to get off following Christ. And in that ways as well, sometimes it can almost seem like, wow, this cross really was a waste if these are the people that it was done for. Uh, people who will deny Jesus, whether with our external actions or in our heart, like pretty quickly. Man, this thing was a waste. But we know that even in that, Christ was faithful to his legacy because he was faithful knowing that even when we fall, he was still going to give us his full grace and love. And it's never a waste. That Jesus didn't die just so you could stay at the levels of failure and falling that you might do, but he knows that you're going to be completed in faith. And that in this struggle now, you're trusting him, that he loves you perfectly. He's fully accepted you because of what Jesus has done. And we will stumble. We might doubt. We might even fall at times. But the cross was never a waste because Christ knows the end result of all that, that he's going to one day fully make you perfect in glorification. And until that day, we trust Christ's provision to live out life on this broken earth in our broken bodies, with our broken minds, with our broken emotions, with our broken families, with our broken everything, trusting that even in this brokenness, it's worth being faithful and obedient because Jesus didn't consider it a waste. Jesus didn't consider his sacrifice a waste. He would look at you and say, yeah, they're fully worth it. They're fully worth it. Because Christ shows and models for us that there is never any waste when we give to others for the sake of the kingdom. And I know some of you probably struggle with that. If you're a leader in ministry, you will always struggle with this, asking, man, did that whole last year where I just invested in a person, was that a waste because I don't even see them anymore? Was that person I used to be there for all the time, counseling them and loving them and walking them through, and now they're going off? Man, that was such a waste. 
We have got to look at things with God's eyes to see there is never any waste when you invest into the kingdom of God, even if you can't see with your own eyes right now. You are the very legacy of Christ's faithful investment that's been handed off like a relay baton, generation to generation to generation, a faithful believer, faithful believer. And now he's giving you a baton. And he's saying, who are you going to pass that on to? Who are you going to invest into? Who are you going to love next? Who are you going to serve? They might even drop the baton, but keep passing that. Keep giving to next. Who are you going to disciple? Who are you going to give to? Who are you going to sacrifice for? And we keep passing that on because that's the way the kingdom of God has operated and moved from it its inception. It's faithful, but broken people like you and me saying, we're going to trust the grace of God and we're going to give everything we have because we believe this doesn't end with us. Keeps moving forward. So what does investing in legacy look like for you? Just make it very practical. How are you going to invest in another person? Is there a person God has placed on your heart? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's someone in your church. Maybe it's someone you work with. Maybe it's someone who's really hard, honestly. Like, they're really hard. And you're like, God, I don't know if this is the best use of my time. You got, you got to reconcile that. But who is God calling you to invest to? How is God calling you to faithfully invest into the church? How is God calling you? And, you know, you know, you're going through some transitional seasons right now with pastor on sabbatical and leadership coming together. But guys, and, and our church, we try to be really clear about this. The goal of the church was never to have a few professionals who do all the ministry and the rest of us kind of clap for them and, and support them a little bit and say, keep going, you're doing good. The goal of the church has always been for the full body of Christ to come together and to be the church and to use the myriad and diversity of skills and gifts and abilities that he's placed right here to come together to be something far greater than we could ever be on just a few of us individually. It's never meant to be a professional endeavor. It's meant to be all of us. And I believe this is a season for Shining Star where God is just fast moving that, fast tracking that for your church, that every one of you is going to be able to see my investment into this legacy matters. My investment into the kingdom of God through this church, it matters. How am I going to give myself and and even in your own eyes, if it doesn't seem very significant. Because God, he judges what's significant and valuable differently than you and I do. We're much more pagan when it comes to that. Even when it's Christian stuff, we look at what looks spectacular as like the important stuff. And we see that God always uses those things that humans kind of shake their head and say, really? Mm, that? And God loves using that because it glorifies him. In God's eyes, there are no small acts of faithfulness. I, and I've seen this time and time again in our church. And I remember um, I, I shared, we're coming up on 10 years as a church, which is, is unbelievable. Again, first few years, my wife and I, every week, we would look at each other after and say, man, you think we're going to make it to next week? I don't know. Let's pray. It was like, it was like that. But, but I remember there's these sweet stories that keep coming to mind, and, and one of them is, so we started September 14th in 2008, officially meeting on Sundays. Before that, we did these monthly, what you call preview services. Just once a month, we would do these services. And I remember our second one, 
it was just so pitiful. Like, if you came to that, you would not come to our church because it looked so lame. We didn't have a worship leader at the time. So my wife, I think she was eight months pregnant at the time. She was leading our worship. She basically had a guitar sitting on top of her belly. And, like, it was, like, really pitiful looking. It was just so, I, like, I would rebuke myself if I could go back in time that I even allowed that to happen. And we, we just had no clue what we were doing. But I remember this. Um, I remember one of our women on our core team, she shared with me during a meeting once. She said, um, Pastor, man, I just feel God convicting me that I, I, maybe I'm supposed to share about some of my history. I'm like, well, what's going on? She's like, um, more and more he's been bringing to light. When I was younger, I, used to, I, used to, I was abused. I was sexually abused as a, as a young girl. And I've been trying to like hide it and suppress it and keep it hidden, but God has been bringing it to the surface so that it can be redeemed. And I, I, I believe I'm supposed to share it before the church or someone, but I'm really afraid that my husband will be dishonored by this. I don't know what he would feel about this. What do you think? And I remember what I told her. I was like, um, I am never going to make you share anything that you don't want to. We don't, we're not in the business of doing that. And you, you want to make sure you talk with your husband and he's on board. But what I will say to you is, I don't know what it will look like, but God never allows something to be used that he's not working with it, even if we can't see it. So I would encourage you, if you feel safe enough, please share that. So I remember that Sunday. Again, not very spectacular. I remember, and I was, I was so excited about it because I was thinking, man, this is going to be such a powerful story. And she got up there, and it was, it was really powerful. But honestly, it really didn't add that much to the service. It was kind of like, well, that, that was nice. Thank you. And I got to admit, that, that day, I was a little disappointed. I'm like, man, what, what a waste of a story. What a waste of an experience. Ah, it wasn't bad. And, and I remember checking my email the next day, and there was an email, a long email. Sometimes you get long emails, like, oh, but this was a really good one, and it was from a woman. I didn't know who she was, but apparently she was there at that service, and she wrote and said, um, I had been praying for a new church in my neighborhood for so long, and what we had done before that, we had mission teams come in, and we, were so, we thought we were so cool, but it was so corny, but we're a, we're a porch neighborhood, so we had mission teams going around sweeping people's porches and leaving a little card saying, hey, we're a new church in the area. We're here to serve you, and... It's, it's so cheesy, but I mean, we were doing whatever we could to serve our neighbors. And she got one of those, and she said, when I saw this, something in my heart leapt, think, because I've been out of the church for a long time. And she shared in that email saying, part of the reason why is I experienced Christ when I was in college. I, I, I genuinely experienced his love, but then I was raped. And it was a really bad experience in church. So I was like, I, I'm, I can't be part of that again. So I distanced myself from the church for years. But then I saw this card, and I've been praying, and I can't think it's an accident. So I came to the service. But I have to tell you, when I came to the service, right when I walked in, every fiber of my body said, run! Get out of here. You don't belong here. They're not going to accept you. You're not worthy to be here. And, and the music was playing, and it was so nice, but I couldn't be here. I was, I was getting up to leave, and right when I was getting up to leave, that woman got up. She started sharing her story. She started sharing her brokenness, and I never heard something like that in church before. And I felt from God, you can be here too. You can be here too. This is for you too.
And from that point, she was there every week. I mean, it was rocky. She had a lot of issues, but she eventually became one of the leaders of our women's ministry. In our city, she started working with other women who had been through different traumas. And we saw God redeem her brokenness and use her in so many ways that no matter how much I think I can preach, I couldn't reach like that. God was using her. And I realized, man, the things that I dismiss as so lame or small, God was using powerfully. There is never a wasted moment of obedience when we give what we have, as small as it might seem to us, because we're always thinking about the trophies we can bring to God. We're thinking about our best things, which is good. You should want to bring your best to God. But the way God works, he's kind of countercultural. He's used the thing, he'll even use the things you think are liabilities in your life. He'll use the things that you feel you're not that good at in your life. He'll use the things when a leader asks you, hey, do you think you would consider serving like this? You're like, uh, that's really not my gift set. That's not really my temperament. God will use those things when we offer to him gladly. And we might not always see the full fruit of it. But even our broken things are used by God. And here's where I qualify it. There might be amazing stories like that. It's kind of supernatural things. And you see the fruit of it tomorrow. But more and more I'm seeing there are some things we're not going to see the full fruit of it until we're on the other side of glory. I, I genuinely believe that, that we are such a product-based culture in the world, but also in the church. And if something doesn't happen here, we, we somehow grade it as worthy or not. But I believe as we serve faithfully and humbly and give all that we have towards God and his kingdom, there are going to be some things like those VBS ladies that we're not going to know the full fruit of until we're on the other side of glory. We're not going to know the full extent of how God's used your faithfulness until we're past these cases of flesh. And God's going to show you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Here's what I did with your sacrifice. Good job. Good job being faithful even when it was hard. And I want to encourage you, how is God calling you to leave legacy? Not just for what you can see happen today or tomorrow, even next year, but maybe you won't see it, but that's not even the whole point of it. Be faithful to God. Give your best, but even give your weakness and your brokenness. Let me pray for us. Lord, we, we humbly come before you because we recognize that if you were looking for the best people to do things, many of us probably feel like we don't make the cut. But God, we thank you that in your grace, there is a whole legacy of people whose lives look like a waste, who didn't see the full fruit of their faith in their eyes. And yet you had been working and you're always working. So I pray for my friends here, my brothers and sisters, may we start to look at life with eyes of faith and legacy and realizing all you call us to, you don't call us to make the outcome, you call us to be faithful and obedient, to give what we have and to invest in your church, in your people, in, in unbelievers, in our cities. You call us to just live for a legacy and leave the results to you. So I pray for my friends here, I pray for those of us who are weak, who are weary, who are tired, and honestly, living for legacy, we've been trying to do it, and we're tired because we haven't been seeing fruit 
or we are seeing fruit, but we're just exhausted. But would you give us even enough eyes of faith to keep walking this journey of faith, trusting you, even if we don't see where we're going, but believing that you're using it in ways that might be mysterious to us. So help us to be a faithful people. Help us to live in faith. Invest in legacy for your great glory, Lord. Move our hearts this evening. Move our hearts this evening. Make this practical, Lord, that you will use every single one of us here. No matter what we think about ourselves, we are yours and you will use your own for your own glory.